You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tajan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Dan Nine Fingers Johnson, and today we have a, a cool episode. And what makes this cool? We have a guy who hunts in a very high-pressure neighborhood. There's not a lot of deer management involved. It's more of a brown it's down type community, and he has 160 acres on a fully functioning farm. There's cattle. There's row crop. There's activity. And, and so there are deer that live on this, this piece of property. And so he's like, man, I've shot enough two-year-olds in my, in my life. I want to let a two-year-old go and see if it comes back and, and could potentially be a three-year-old. And that is what this is. This episode is about. We talk about the, the terrain, the area, the habitat, the hunting culture in this area, uh, the, the amount of pressure during the gun season, which is just sounds like it's enormous, and the uh, and the ability for today's guest David Lang to to say, you know what, I'm going to pass this buck, and I'm going to hope that next year he shows up, and sure enough, he showed up, and so it's just a really cool story about a guy who puts a little bit of work into a I don't know I don't even know it, depending on where you where you live 160 could be big 160 could uh, be small but 160 acres in Minnesota in a very high pressure neighborhood and it yields fruit he passes a deer comes back the next year and uh, and so 
this episode is all the details that went into that. It's a really fun story. It's an awesome story. It's a story that gives guys who hunt high pressure areas who want bigger deer a little hope. And uh, I don't know. I, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. But before we get into this episode, I got to do the commercials. I got to pay the bills. And I got to talk about Vortex Optics. They're our uh, title sponsor, I think, still. And uh, if you're looking for, man, I mean, if you're looking for binocular spotting scopes, rifle scopes, red dots, range finders, specifically the Crossfire HD 1400 rangefinder then you need to go check out vortexoptics.com check out their vip warranty you break it you buy it you bust it you send it to them they fix it for free and send it back to you there's uh so so that brand is second to none in the industry and keep an eye out for their 12 days of christmas on their social media they're going to be giving away some gear there's going to be some discounts uh some discount codes being handed out uh on not only their their optics but on the vortex wear their apparel line as well so go uh go check that out next we have hunt stand a lot of content coming out over this christmas season about hunt stand as well um hunt stand is a digital mapping app where it gives you the ability to to look at different late map layers like satellite imagery topography it allows you to document your hunts you know drop pins um, organize your trail camera picture share information with your friends check out weather check out landowner um you know landowner information and then there's also their new pro whitetail platform a little bit of an upgrade on that but it allows i mean it's designed for the serious whitetail hunter so uh, go check out huntstand.com wasp archery the in my this is what i say the metallica of of broadheads they are heavy duty they are durable uh they are they stand the test of time and they they uh whack a punch and not only that but they're designed by uh people who are much smarter than me and you and they are uh made with the best materials available so if you want a if you want that perfect combination go check out wasp i'm a huge fan of the three blade wasp jackhammer i killed this you know i kill i've killed a lot of deer with that head and when i'm looking for a fixed blade option then my go-to is the boss four blade um, a majority not all of them but a majority of their heads are still made in the in the united states and uh that's uh that's pretty cool so go check out wasparchery.com discount code for 20 percent off a perfect stocking stuffer nfc20 and last but not least you know i think saddle hunting by now has surpassed the fad stage it's here to stay it it does give you the ability to cut some weight be more mobile be lighter uh, have a smaller profile out in the woods with with your hunting gear Uh, so go check out tethered's website and check out their climbing sticks their saddle hunting accessories their platforms their their saddles and then the best part about all all of that is that on their website and on their youtube channel they have content available for you to consume on how to properly use all that saddle hunting uh, gear that you've, you've just purchased so go check out tethered and we're done so today's episode it's a good one hopefully you guys enjoy this hump day episode remember to go to itunes leave a five-star review that would help me out 
Let everybody know how awesome the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast is. And then last but not least, uh, go to iTunes, or excuse me, go to Instagram or Facebook, follow along, comment, join the community, be a, a part of the posting and the pictures and all that stuff. And good vibes in, good vibes out, right? So uh, here's today's episode. Three, two, one. All right, all the way from Minnesota, which really, I say all the way, it's really, for me, it's really not that far. I mean, but if you live in Maine, I guess it would be a long way, but David Lang, how we doing, man? We're doing great, Dan. It's uh, awesome to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you uh, you reached out to me and you uh, sent me a little success story that you had this year, and I, I love getting these success stories about guys uh, overcoming obstacles to get the job done. Uh, on a on a on a buck and so that's what we're going to talk about today but before we get into the story here uh, why don't you go ahead and talk to me a little bit about where you live in Minnesota and what do you do for a living uh I live in central Minnesota pretty much mm-hmm. um, a little bit north of the Twin Cities uh, a little little ways and um, I work for a mechanical company so uh, plumbers and pipe fitters I got gotcha. you yeah, and uh, luckily I got the. I've been there quite a bit. I got a pretty good freedom as far as um, getting time off, fudging with my hours. You know, coming in. I don't. I guess not really late, but you know, getting off a little bit early so I can get out in the woods. So. So you have you know, a, uh, a hunting flexible schedule. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, it, yeah, I work twelve hours a day usually. You know, if I'm not hunting, but yeah. yes. Yeah, I can't fidget, you know, and yeah. get sick in here and make it up another day here. So yeah, well, that's good. I mean, I kn- I know a lot of guys in the trades. I mean, who sounds to me like they're in the trades for a reason. Because when I was working in the cubicle world, man, there wasn't any. Hey, I'm gonna come in late today, or I'm gonna work more hours today, and then I'm gonna come in late tomorrow. Like that just that didn't happen. But it sounds to me like a lot of guys who are serious about hunting love these trade jobs because it allows them to be like, Hey, I'm going to bust my ass all summer long, all whatever, all spring long. And then when it's time to hunt the foreman or whoever's in charge, lets them slack a little bit because they know they're, they know they're putting in the work. Right. No, that's for sure too. And I kind of, that's the funny thing, the stipulation when I kind of got this job, I'm like, I hunt a lot in the fall and I like, you can take away any time I want, but not in the fall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the president of the company, he's a big hunter too. He does a lot of, uh, out of state hunts and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's the nice part is he does understand that too. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Um, are, are you commercial or residential? Commercial. Commercial. Yeah, All right. So you put in like longer, I mean, are you doing just like regular bathrooms in commercial or are you doing like huge, like huge waterways and things like that? Yeah. Like wastewater treatment plants, hospitals, um, schools, brand new schools, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, gotcha. Oil fillers, all that stuff for running heating and cooling for it. Gotcha. All right. Cool. Cool. Minnesota. And I know a couple guys who live up there in the Twin Cities and I think the first thing, and, and we're really on a trend here uh, on this podcast talking about guys getting it done in high-pressure uh, situations, but the guys that I know that live in the Twin Cities up there in Minnesota, they 
like the almost the first word out of their mouth is pressure. And <laughs> I'm not talking about just on public land, but I'm talking about all all ground, all private, all public surrounding the Twin Cities up to an hour, two hours away has a very high density of hunters. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Like, yeah, rifle season around here. I mean, I live in the, you know, you get yeah, 100, you know, the average acreage, I guess, would be 100 acres to 250 acres. But you'll have 12, 14 guys on that come gun season on every piece around you, you know, for miles. So it, it is really high pressure as far as bull hunting. It's, you know, it's not terrible. There's pressure. But, man, come rifle season, holy smokes. If it's brown, it's down. It's getting hammered. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and this kind of all comes into play when we're talking about your story this year. Um, I mean, first off, let's just, you know, obviously it's high pressure. Second, talk to us a little bit about the terrain or the landscape that you're hunting on a, on a yearly basis. Um, so when I go to public ground, it's more of, I mean, where I kind of am, I guess it's pretty marshy. And big woods, I guess, as you could say. So it's marsh and then big woods, you know, big, thick, you know, old stands of timber. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got a little bit of hilliness to it, but it's, I mean, it's pretty flat for the most part. There's a little, you know, if you get five, 10 feet of elevation difference, that's a big deal here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about uh, where um, that that's the public. And then is it any different on the private that you hunt? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's a little more open. So I hunt um, 160 acres, so and it's just a big square, half mile by half mile. Um, so my father-in-law, he lives on the very north end of the property, and then I live on the very south end of the property on the west side. Okay. It's kind of easy to understand because there's a river or a creek that runs from the northeast corner all the way to the southwest corner. And kind of to the west of that, there's a... Uh, 18 acre um, used to be a hay field, but now it was actually cornfield this year. I actually got him kind of because he got rid of his cattle because he's getting old. Because yeah, that was something I always had to help with was cattle. Yeah. <laughs> so I got him out of the cattle and yeah, he rented it out to a farmer that's quite a ways away and actually put crops in this year, which is cool. But not to get off track, Dan. So there's an 18 acre field and it runs right alongside the road pretty much because there's a road on the very west side of the property. And that field runs, you know, pretty much north to south. You know, it's skinny, more rectangle-ish. And then uh, his cattle pasture, um, pretty much from the very northwest corner of the property, his cattle pasture runs one big rectangle pretty much east to west, you know, along that. And it's pretty much just uh, a little bit of grazing land, pretty marshy to in there. Gotcha. And so you mentioned you, you hunt public. We... Uh, some public we know that that gets hammered or the pressure's high throughout the year but other than maybe you and you said your father-in-law or your father my father-in-law okay your father-in-law on this hunt 160 that you're on does anybody else hunt that that piece nope it's just me and him okay he's not a bull hunter he's just rifle hunter right okay so but obviously 160 in the grand scheme of things, isn't very much ground considering how deer move, right? And so any right. type of management uh, would be difficult. Uh, so what's the neighborhood like in that area then? Um, 
so I'm like not to get off track, but yeah. So I, it, there's about 40 acres of woods on the property and that's yep. pretty southeast side of it you know like i said that creek pretty much separates the field pasture from the hardwood so to speak yeah pretty much everything to the east and to the south of me is all just big woods and a little bit of marsh mixed in with it you know little pocket marsh and uh then you go to the west across the road there's a decent number of fields right alongside the road and then it's all it is is just big timber i mean yeah (laughs) yeah farmers so if anybody knows that it's just mostly hay fields and then big timber and that's a little bit of hay fields but i mean 60 70 percent is all hardwoods you know yeah and so what about the neighborhood in regards to hunting pressure like is it is it a is it everybody rifle hunts smokes the young deer kills everything that moves type of uh environment (laughs) <laughs> yep yeah pretty pretty much i mean i look at it every year and you know i have probably six to eight you know decent bucks and then i you know luckily the father-in-law he knows everybody in the neighborhood so we'll go around and he'll be like well this guy shot this and he'll show me a picture i'm like damn it that's another one i had that i was trying to you know let go and so yes most of the time there's it's there's no trophy hunting i mean if it's got six points or more it's getting it's getting blasted you know yeah and that's not an antler point restriction area or anything like that nope nothing like that shoot anything with horns on it if you want gotcha all right so and the reason i'm asking these questions is to set up uh, and, and get a vision of the caliber of deer that you're hunting um and and what is available to you uh every every season and so when you say decent buck you say every year there's there's a decent buck around what is a decent buck in your eyes if he's over 100 inches he's a decent buck for sure okay all right so now we're talking two-year-olds maybe maybe three-year-olds but mostly i'm guessing two-year-olds Yep, mostly two-year-olds. I mean, just I, that's the funniest part. They're young deer, and they're just really nice genetics, but I, you just can't get any age on them. And yeah. every year, the two-year-olds, I look at them, and you'll have three, four nice eight points, and it's like, come on, come on, come on, you know, just yeah. make it. And, uh, yeah, this year, that's I, I had one that made it, so I he was target buck then right away. Yeah, and so on on this, uh, this piece of property, uh, how do you go, like, it sounds to me like you got some trail cameras out, right? Yep, yep. How many trail cameras uh, a year do you typically run? Uh, typically four, I guess. Okay. Usually I have two, two on um, two food plots that I have, and then I stick two on some main trails that are coming in and out. And I kind of cut the trail cameras down because, like, I, I got enough intel of what's going on usually, so I usually try to keep everything pretty low-key. Gotcha. All right. And so with, with that said, then, um, are you using those, like, are you using trail cameras more for inventory or are you using them for strategy or both? How, how would you say you're using that information that the, the trail cameras provide you? I would say it's more inventory. I just want to know if there's a good deer on the property, you know, something I've, I'm, I want shoot because then i'll actually go after it um but there's a little bit yeah like this year there was a little bit of strategy with it you know i used it to my advantage i didn't take it for uh you know god's holy book but yeah you know it definitely helped me a little bit for sure yeah all right so this buck that uh we're going to be talking about today um so you identified him 
this year as uh, one that made it through, right? So you're you're telling me you think this buck is a a three year old? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So why don't you just describe? You know, it's always good to put a vision uh, or in a, you know let the the audience use their imagination. What's describe this buck's headgear? Uh, he's just a nice, solid eight point, and um, I mean. Uh, his G2s are definitely the distinguishing factor of them because I think they're nine inches long, but his G3s are pretty weak. But, I mean, good cage, uh, 15, 16 inside, somewhere in there. He was just outside his ears. And um, the reason I know him is because on his, it would be his left beam, the very end of it, it's kind of got a ball, and then it gets really skinny, and then it's got a ball again right on the very end of his beam. And yeah. that's how I distinguished him from that eight-point last year because he had that same distinguishing feature on his beam so oh cool that's awesome yep. um I, I love being able to do that i love being able to look at a deer his character in his rack and go hey dude i know this buck from last year or this type of uh, on one of the farms that i hunt there is a couple genetics that um i guess i would i could recognize fairly easy and so on the on my main farm there are like these beams that come in real tight and if the deer gets old enough they they come pretty close to touching or they they almost curve back towards the nose a little bit then uh there's also a really wide genetic in like just a wide eight pointer type genetic on the farm similar to the deer that i shot last year and so it's always fun to say dude like this buck could have been this buck's dad and or brother or you know but same genetic line and so i i don't know i really i really enjoy looking back at old trail camera pictures and comparing them to to this year's in you know this year's uh crop of bucks and, and comparing and seeing if there's any similarities yep no that's for sure it's it's cool yeah you like it's Try to, I try to keep an inventory of what's going on, and then I can figure out, like, this next spring, summer, I can figure out what bucks made it, if any, or, yeah. you know, like the deal. So, yeah, no, for sure. I like that previous data. You can go back and look at that. All right. So, uh, you when did you get your first trail camera pictures of this buck this year? I would say he was, uh, it was probably, oh, no, it was right away. I mean, end of May, start of June, I had him in Bell. Okay. And so at that point it was instant. It was an instant. This is a shooter. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully connect with him this year. Right. Right. It, I mean, typically too, I don't get them here in velvet. I mean, it's pretty rare. Normally it's just, you know, forky spike six pointers. Usually I do not have one that actually stays summer range on the farm. Usually typically they move in, you know, after they shed their velvet and maybe even if he doesn't do that, even late October, you know, getting pre-rut time frame, I don't, you know, I don't have anything to shoot, but this one, no, he hung around in the summer and I was just hoping he was going to make it all the way into the fall towards hunting season. Yeah. And so talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the, the deer movement throughout the year. I mean, on this, on this particular piece of property, I mean, do they like it better in the summer? Do they like it better in the, you know, the the fall? Is there a, a local doe group on the farm? I mean, is it better with, because it sounds like you have some crops in now. Um, you know, is there a certain crop rotation that they like? Break that down for us. Okay. So, like I said, normally I just, 
last year got father-in-law to finally get rid of his cows because they're too much of a hassle for him. So normally it's all hay around me. I mean, hay fields and not even like good hay fields, just beef hay. So, I mean, just, you know, not hay, not alfalfa, hardly any clover, you know, just beef hay. But, um, I mean, the, the cool thing is I live in an, you know, an area, it's got a good deer population. I mean, you know, you can see 10, eight does and fawns in an evening. I mean, there's a good doe group here and there's usually, like I said, lot, lots of small bucks, but, <laughs> and, um, um, as far as breaking down, uh, like I said, usually in the summertime, it's mostly does and just small bucks. And usually the, you know, uh, come shed velvet, you get some more, uh, you, it's kind of weird because sometimes you'll get them coming in in the fall other times it's just pre-rut when they'll move in and then you know they move in for that pre-rut rut and then they're back out pretty quick yeah okay and so then and so uh there's does it ever feel like there is a buck on your property consistently no no not for sure this this was the first year he actually was there during the summer and he stayed around during, during the fall. Okay. Normally got a tight window, pre rut rut where something comes in and I got to get him on the ground or he's gone. <laughs> yeah. And then, so do you think that the contributing factor was the crops on your piece this year? Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Isn't it? 100%. And it's amazing what that, what that simple thing can do to keep deer closer. Right. Right. Man, I, I just wish that I had the ability to plant food plots or to man. Cause I, that's such a game changer. I mean, you, I don't know what your opinion is. I mean, you, you kind of have this, um, you have food plots too. You have some crops on, on the piece, but any type of standing food on a piece of property, in my opinion, just changes it. And the people who have the ability to do that and have the funds, like the income where they can, uh, plant a, a field or plant a food plots or leave crops standing is just like, I mean, it just gives them that much more of an upper hand. Well, for sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a game changer this year that I found. Yeah. And I already have Intel from this year that one of my two and a half year olds, my nice two and a half year old eight points, he made it because uh, after gun season, uh, my fiance seen him coming out of the cornfield across the road when she was coming home. I mean, uh, gotcha. 30 yards private land. So okay, you already. So it, it's that it's almost like that corn is making things like it's just instantly on your property. It's almost, I mean, it did this year. It sounds like our, it's, it's job where it, it kept deer away from off other farms during the gun season and it it saved them potentially oh yeah for sure yeah no no doubt i mean i got some that got shot obviously but for the most part yeah it it, it's really helped i like i said i haven't pulled my trail cameras yet to see what they've told me as far as what's survived and what's not but i'll leave them out for probably till january start of january gotcha okay all right so now this buck this year you said you got uh pictures of him right away was did were you getting pictures of him consistently throughout the uh throughout the summer into let's say september yeah i would say he was a little more uh sporadic i mean he was 
probably once, twice a week, he'd stick around for a day or two, and I'd have a couple pictures of him here and there. And then, yeah, he would be gone for probably a week's time frame, I would say. Gotcha. But eventually he would come back. Yep, yep. Eventually right. he kind of had the pattern of, you know, you know, Monday through Wednesday he would roll in and stick around for that time frame, and then he'd be gone for, you know, until next Monday, Monday through Wednesday type. Okay. Did you happen to identify any wind directions or, or what part of the farm, like, like how he was coming into the farm and how he was leaving it? Um, to some, to some degree, like, um, he was pretty nomadic on the rest, you know, certain parts of the farm as far as where he would kind of pick and be, but I have this little, I set this up just for, what I wanted to do it's it's I call it my kill plot it's just a little eighth acre of clover it's right along that it's both in the middle of the property and it's right along that creek bed and um, that was the spot where he was really comfortable as far as spending you know his time when he was on the farm otherwise as far as trails in and out it was kind of hit miss he'd be over here over there he'd hit the you know the field plot on the other side of the farm you know so but this kill spot that's where he really was felt safe yeah Man, I got a buddy, Tom Peplinski's his name, and he is a kill plot. Like, he, that's all he talks about is these kill plots. And they're just very small food plots where the bedding area or where the, he feels that they're bedding to the main food source or food plot, it just gets them to stop or, or come out of the timber just to maybe munch not eat, but just munch on their way to the main food source or lay sign or do something. And it just pulls them out just a little bit. And this guy, he, he's got it down pat and it sounds like, I and mean, he's, he's killing giants right now. I mean, this guy's killing giants, but these micro food plots, these kill plots that you're talking about seem to be like just a really good strategy in the food plot game. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, it took me a couple of years to kind of really figure out where I wanted it. And once I got it in there, like I tell my two brothers, I'm like, if I have a deer somewhat there on the farm, if I sit this spot, it, he's dead. Like yeah. I'll see thing on the farm that I want to see will be on this plot sooner or later. Yeah. And so what did you plant in this plot or in, just, the, in your plots? Yeah, it's just thick clover. Okay. Just clover. That's very just simple. Clover. And uh, from a food plot you know, I, I don't ever talk about food plots, really, uh, and it's because I don't know anything about food plots. But when you were establishing getting these food pl plots ready initially, um, everything work out normal? I mean, did did the food plots take off right away? Did you have any learning experiences or fails that you had to overcome when planning these things? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I had the one up on the east farm that was a little drier ground up there, and I did the the dumb thing of planting it uh, in the spring, you know, starting to get into summer and I had half of it just burnt right up, like nothing, just weeds came in there. And the other half of it that was more shaded on the shady side of the, the field, that actually did really well. But yeah, no, I had, I had a couple of flops there and I had to, you know, curveball it around. And how did you fix the field that ended up getting burnt? Did you overseed it or, or something like that? Or what was the, what was the root cause there? Um, it was just dry and then it got burnt, you know, cause the ground was, doesn't, didn't hold as much moisture. So yeah, we just didn't get rain and then, you know, hot temperatures just burnt it, you know, burnt the seed right okay. up. Gotcha. So what I, in the fall is I just mowed it really low and I planted 
winter rye, really heavy with winter rye, and then I threw clover over that again. And then in the spring, actually, yeah, it did came right, kind of bounced kind of back. And is winter rye a, a, a one-stop shop, or does that grow back every year? Yeah, that's a one-stop shop. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And so it was almost a cover crop for your for your uh, clover. Yep. Okay. No. And it sounds like it worked, man. Oh, it worked great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's <laughs> I'm awesome. Up farmers up here, so I, you know, just we'll talk to them, and they're like, "Oh no, do it this way, do it that way." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, were you able to use equipment like a tractor and disc, or was it more DIY? Uh, no, I had, yeah, father-in-law, that's the nice part. He was an old farmer, so he's got all the equipment, you know, and I went and bought us, you know, not a big tractor, but a smaller tractor, but it, it works perfect because, yeah, I can get in on them them trails in the deep in the woods if I want and get a micro plot up pretty much anywhere on the farm that I want. Awesome. Awesome. That's cool, man. All right, so you got uh, you got the food, right? The crops are helping drag the deer in. Um, is there a local doe group or, like, Obviously, food. You have a crick coming through. Is the crick hold water all year? Uh, that depends on the year. I mean, yeah. normally it, it'll hold some water. I mean, it'll be there'll be a little bit of water going on it. But yeah, gotcha. sometimes it, sometimes it's smaller. It just depends. All right, so it's got the food. It's got the cover. It's got the water. But when it comes to the hunting season, right? You obviously want does. Are there? Is there a doe group on on this piece that is pretty consistent? Yes. Yeah, okay. for sure. So you have every, you have everything uh, on this, yep. on this piece now. And, um, so as, as we start getting into the season, does this buck then, uh, become more consistent on camera? Is he hanging around come the opener or is he, is he gone for a while? Nope. He was pretty consistent actually coming, getting up close to, you know, opening weekend, you know, start of September he got even more consistent, like even closer, stayed longer. Now gotcha. he was coming about every three days. Every three days he was rotating in for a couple days and he'd be on the farm. Okay. And so does this farm have any egg? See, you, you took the cattle off, right? Right. Okay. So there's no more cattle, which is a, a little bit less pressure um, because I've, I've found this is crazy. I, I spent a lot of time hunting on a cattle farm. That's what my main farm is. I mean, there's cattle on it. And they they live there, but they don't, like, they won't walk in with the cattle, right? They'll wait for them to move out or they'll go around the cattle. Now, this, this farm also has horses, and they'll walk right through the horses. They won't, for some reason, I don't know what, what it is, but they don't care about the horses. Horses don't care about them, but when the cows and the deer see each other, they just kind of avoid each other. So now you have this lack of pressure from the cattle. Is there any other farming that goes on on this property, or is it almost kind of a safe zone with no pressure? Uh, it's pretty much a safe zone with no pressure. So to back that up, the father-in-law doesn't have cattle anymore, but he rented his pastures out to the neighbor. Gotcha. All right. So and, there still oh, is cattle on this farm. But they're in there for a shorter window, I oh, guess. I gotcha. Yeah, the father-in-law was a cow-calf operation, so he would have them in there all year, whereas yeah. this just, uh, you know, butcher cows, so they're just in there from the spring till the fall. Gotcha. So usually when does he get the, or this year, when did he take the cows out of that pasture? 
Uh, let me see. Uh, sometime I was probably middle of October. Middle of I, October. Okay. And so when does your archery season start then? It was uh, September 17th. September 17th. Okay. So did you, so now we're talking into September um, openers, the 17th, he's, he's coming in, he's coming through every three days. Did you get in there during the opening week at all to, to give it a shot or was your goal to just chill and wait? No, I went right after him right away because let me see, a father-in-law came down to my house and he said, he's seen him running out of the corn. Um, what would that have been Thursday? So we went off the farm Thursday and that was crucial so that i'm like all right friday saturday saturday sunday it's pattern he should be back and trail cameras are telling you this right trail cameras are telling you hey right now he's on a three-day pattern uh i pulled trail cameras let me see a week before season checked them checked pattern all that stuff and then i left him alone i like i didn't touch him again so i i wasn't quite sure but like i said i seen him that thursday then because i just i wanted to be low-key you know i snuck in there on a good day it was kind of misty rainy snuck in there pulled cameras and i'm like all right he's still on his pattern a week before season so this should hold gotcha okay and so then the father-in-law came in and and said hey i saw him coming out of the corn it's opening you know it's opening week or whatever you're going in after him uh talk to us a little bit about where you like the terrain feature or where you were going in your access route what conditions you you had in hopes of intercepting him so opening week was pretty warm here if i remember right and it was hot it was mid 70s low 80s i want to say opening weekend and i don't i don't hunt mornings anyways not not early seasons too hard to get in into this property without bumping deer yeah but i uh i came down from my father-in-law's access uh right alongside the corner because it was a south wind pretty much yeah it was a south wind for quite a few days if i remember right and like I said, so it was blowing from the very the bottom by my house property straight north. So I was going into the kill plot stand because that wind was blowing right out over the creek, right into the cattle pasture. Don't even have to worry about anything winding me. I mean, it's rock solid. So I came in from the north, crossed the creek, and then, I mean, it's crossed the creek, and it's 30 yards right up into my stand, right on that kill plot. Yeah. And as far as axles, it's it's locked tight. Yeah, yeah. And so what direction did you think he was going to be coming from? Well, usually he beds just off into there, probably, I would say, 60, 70 yards right inside the timber. Same with the does. They bed a little bit different. They're a little bit to the south of where my plot is, kind of. Yeah, it's not too bad, but it's more on that transition line, just inside the you know woods a little bit. Gotcha. But normal bucks bed up, I would say, from where I'm sitting in kind of the center of the property. They bed up a little bit farther towards the creek and there's a little uh kind of pond area up there and they bed kind of right tight to that gotcha all right and so so what day was the first day in the tree stand then that would have been saturday evening okay in the first stand let's see here i'm gonna pull up my calendar saturday evening and that would have been that would have been the 17th then right the opening day okay so what'd you see opening day not a stinking thing (laughs) (laughs) so it goes normally you'll see does at least if you don't see the box yeah yeah all right which well you know uh, i look at it this way early season that's pretty typical right right okay so 
yeah, warm, you know, just it's early season, right? So how how often are you going after him after after the 17th? Did you go with the 18th? Did you go the 19th? Like, did you stop, let him rebound for that three-day window and get back after him? Walk us through that. Okay, so my strategy is usually, like you say, if I got something to chase here on the farm, I'm going to chase it hard come early season right away, and then it's going to chill. I'll give it a month, try to hit it again. But, yeah, so I usually hunt pretty hard to start a season, and then I just relax. I just go hunt public and kind of, you know, stumble around, see if I can stumble onto something else. Yeah. But, so, Saturday was hard, you know, sat nothing. Didn't see it stinking thing. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, and then that, that – at that point, then that evening I pulled trail camera. So then I got all the data coming up into that. Okay, not today. He should be here tomorrow. So I'm like, all right, the wind's coming out of the south again. So it's safe. I don't have to worry about it busting me. You know, it's rock solid. Right. All right, we're going Sunday. And? Didn't see a damn thing again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now my head's really spinning. <laughs> yeah. And so did you think at this point, you know, that's, that's two times going into this stand location that you think you're going to uh, encounter him. Did you think that maybe he was seeing you walk in or smelling you once you got into, into the stand, you know, maybe the wind was shifting down, downwind and getting sucked down into that Creek or something. Um, so as far as the wind, I'm like, no, no, I mean, I'm solid there and I'm usually, I got it pretty good where I sneak in. There's some big pine trees right along the edge there. And I, my stand's in a big pine tree. So usually the way I come in, I tuck like right behind the bedding areas. I'll use the pine trees as a blocker. And then I just quick sneak right around them, right up in the stand. I mean, it's, yeah, as far as how, how I've hunted that and that. Yeah, I mean, there's no way he's he's not seeing me and he's not smelling me with that, the way my wind's blowing. Gotcha. All right, so... So then, um, so you struck out two times going in. And when I mean strikeout, I mean no deer seen. Uh, Yeah. I mean, but does that make you less confident in your plan? Or are you just like, hey, man, it's early season. I just need to give it time. So that starts, yeah, I get into a little bit of panic mode because I'm thinking, man, he should be on that pattern. I should have some sort of sighting of him. Even if, you know, he doesn't come onto the plot to kill him, I still should be able to see him somewhere. So, yeah, I'm starting to go into, oh, shit. Now he's, he changes his pattern right away, and now what do I got to, you know, now I got to try to refigure him out, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, and then when was the next time you were in the tree stand? So then, three days in a row, I went out. Um, I got off work early, and I went out. Monday evening and and this was by this time it's late September or early October no this is still right three three hunts right in a row oh so okay Saturday. so you went Saturday went, Sunday and then on Monday again yep okay Monday uh Monday evening and I actually did not see him but I seen a good amount of deer and a couple smaller eight points that you know, they were maybe year and a half two and a half year old Nothing, nothing of shooter caliber, though. Nope, nothing of shooter caliber. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, at least as far as your mind goes, now you're like, all right, I'm at least seeing deer now because it cooled off a little bit. So I'm like, all right, well. And I checked trail camera again. He hasn't been there to that kill plot. So I'm like, well, what's going on? You know. Yeah. All right. So that's three days in a row. At least you see see deer the third time. How long? How long was it until you actually got close to him? maybe see him, uh, saw him from the tree stand 
any 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 big parts of the story between uh, that that last hunt that you were on and the next time that you were in the stand and, and actually saw him? No, there was nothing. I had nothing going on. The only thing I knew is he just did not come to that. He hasn't been to that kill plot yet. And we're on day, uh, let me see, it would be six now of not, him not coming to that plot. And like I said, he was normally every three days. He was pretty routine. Gotcha. Only pictures on that plot, everything. I mean, it was plenty of daylight. I mean, hour before shooting light all in the evening so i mean it was like man this should be rock solid what is going on yeah all right and so at this point then um like lead us down the the rest of the story um so then tuesday the wind was bad it was garbage is coming out of the northwest so pretty much from my stand location it's blowing right in there to bedding so i'm like can't do nothing i could maybe go ch- try to chase them around the woods but then i'm thinking you know usually i try to stay out of the timber more early season because it seems like it really pushes deer off the farm and i do not want to do that you know yeah yep well then um tuesday came i could not get off work early um wednesday came couldn't get off work early so now it's thursday and i had a really iffy wind and i i was like well i'm gonna take off work early i'm gonna try try again here um so and I mean, I'm talking iffy wind. I'm talking it's blowing to the, let me see, I'll get my bearings here. It would be to the northeast from the southwest, even a little bit west wind. So that in my eyes, that's blowing, right, I mean, pretty stinking close to right where they bed at. Yeah. So you're, you're cutting the wind pretty hard. Cutting really hard and so i called my brother i'm like i don't know if i should go sit that sand stand again i mean that wind is really iffy and he's like nope sit that thing he's like if he hasn't if he wasn't there tuesday wednesday he'll be there tonight because it was a little cooler breeze and like i said that that kill wind as far as if you want to stay that yeah yeah and um well i guess it's the last shot then i'll throw it throw it up to that plot and then i'm gonna bounce i'm gonna go to public land and start tromping around there and seeing what i can do so the this was I'm going to give it four hunt. Like this is the fourth hunt then, right? Yep. In a row. Yep. Okay. And your thought process at this point was get in there, give it a try tonight. If I don't, then I'm backing out and I'm letting the property rest for a while. Right. And I'll go stomp around public. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. And so you felt that the conditions were, you know, better than the previous three days. And so, are we talking the same exact stand again or are you have you moved at this point same stand i mean at least the three hunts prior to that wind was absolutely perfect so i know i didn't blow anything up i you know i slip out really nice in the evening you know i just know it's it's not i didn't pressure him at all you know what i mean yeah so we'll give him one more shot here with a really iffy wind and i mean this wind deer will catch it as far as farther up they come out into the other field because like i said the creek runs uh northwest to southeast so my wind's blowing right kind of up the side of that creek where the transition where they kind of you know pop it out you know here there whatever yeah yep and so uh you're in the same spot you're confident in the spot uh walk us through what happens um so yeah i I called my, talked to my brother. He's like, nope, just sit that stand again. Give it one more shot. I'm like, all right, you know, this is an iffy win. This might get me in trouble. 
So I walk in there, get up in the stand, drop some milkweed. I'm like, whew. I mean, it's tight right now to, to, to where I know his bedding is. Yeah. I'm like, milk is 10 yards from that as far as to the side of that, off the side going parallel against it. So I'm like, well, you know, it's iffy, but yeah, there's a shot. And um, I kept checking. Wind was good. Uh, hour before, uh, you'd say shooting, end of shooting light, you know, I hear deer stand up right from that bedding area 70 yards away and start walking right in to me and uh, i'm like oh this is you know right away i didn't even have to see i'm like this gotta be him i guarantee stand up get bow ready and at this point wind wind is about four miles an hour i'd say but it's pretty quiet as far as um the evening you know what i mean it's pretty quiet you can hear about anything but wind's still going he's coming in um about straight straight at me kind of like i said right along that transition line and um the funniest thing is this this year not to sidebar or anything but this year i wanted to try something over my in my kill plot i wanted to put up a licking branch you know 10 yards from the camera so i'm like you know i put it up uh early august i'm like well i want to just try this for you know shits and giggles as far as because some people say it's really nice you know to see the deer or whatever and I'm like on the camera, not all the time I can get the pictures of the deer as far as like when hunting it, yeah. I'll see up on the very end of the food plot and I won't get them on camera. So I was like, well, I want to try this, you know? Yep. And as I was hunting it, like, uh, let me see what it had been that, that Monday night when I seen, I think it was six, six deer, two bucks. Um, every deer came over to that licking branch and hit it like first thing soon as it comes out of the plot walks over hits that licking branch then starts to eat around the plot and kind of mosey around the plot so i was like man thing is really cool you know i had that little eight point came in there and just rattled his horns right that licking branch kind of tossed around and i'm sitting there i was taking video of them and i sent to my brothers they're like that is cool i'm like i would have never guessed that would have worked you know what i mean yeah so that was just a crucial part in the story i guess so yeah uh going back bucks coming in you know, I heard him stand right out of his bed, start walking right up. To and me. it's him, right? And you see him, and it's you. Have, you've identified it's it's this buck. Nope, not yet. Oh, okay. As he comes in, uh, probably ten yards in the wood line, I see the cage, and then I'm like, oh, okay, this is him. This is him. Okay. Yep. So now, you know, mind, um, going to calm down mode, and um, the funniest part. <laughs> not the sidebar can i sidebar again you can side, sidebar as much as you want man <laughs> so not the sidebar again but i always uh you know i i talk to some people with like buck fever and i know people with buck fever and you know they ask me if i get buck fever and i say no and they're like well how do you deal with that i'm like i will shit my pants after i shoot him <laughs> when he's coming in it, i'm all business yeah. and like I'm on the fire department up here. I'm just a volunteer. Yeah. I was a rookie going into high stress situations, you know, fires, car accidents, all that stuff. And I used to get so wound up. I mean, hearts just pumping. Can't yeah. think, you know, running around like a buck in rut, so to speak. Yeah. You just don't know what you're doing. And I finally have mastered how to control myself in a high stressful, you know, environment. And so then it's kind of funny. So then I use that same thing for, you know, you could say bigger deer hunting, you know, not just doe hunting, you know, big buck hunting. I use that same method, control breathing, get my mind on a mission. That's what it is. Slow everything down. 
and get your mind right. Get it on a mission. What do I have to do to kill this thing? Where is he coming? You know, not running your mind wild, but it's just mission. How do I kill this thing? That's what I always talk to myself when he's coming in. How do I kill this thing? He's what I want to kill. How do I kill him? Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you are controlled in this, in this situation. Yep. Good. That's awesome. That's, that's an awesome something to map, like an awesome ability to have mastered. I, I am not anywhere close to an expert in that, but I feel like I get better with every deer I shoot. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. It, yeah, it is. You know, a lot of it is just shooting a lot of deer because when I was young, that's all I did was just shoot deer, lots of deer. You know, yeah. we had lots of eggs when I was younger, two, three bucks in a year, two, three does in a year, even, you know, yeah. and that's the main thing is shooting a lot of deer. And then, you know, as I gotten older, it was figuring out how to control that situation then, you know, because it was rifle hunting to more bow hunting because I'm primarily, I, I bow hunt now instead. But yeah. when I was younger, I do both, but it was, I loved rifle. Bow hunting was not so cool. Yeah. Okay. And so now you, I mean, you're calm, you're collective, he's coming in. What happens next? Um. So he comes, I see his cage, probably 10 yards, just eh, thick in the, coming out of that transition. So when he gets to about five yards where he's still behind stuff, I draw my bow because I'm like, he's going to come right on that trail. I know he's coming out and he should be uh, pretty broadside, maybe a little quartering too, but pretty broadside. So I get drawn and I'm just sitting there waiting for him to poke out. And I mean, he gets right all the way up to the edge of the, the woods, stops for a second. And I'm like, all right, he's going to stop for a second. He's going to mosey right out, dead deer. And he um, switched directions and comes straight into that mock scrape. So now he's facing me at mock scrapes, 13 yards, I think, from my stand. And now he's straight in line with me, hitting that mock scrape. As I'm full drawn, and he, um, I looked on the trail camera because I got him on that, and he's at a minute 30. And in my mind, I'm thinking, he's at a minute. I've been drawn for a minute 30. And I'm going, oh, boy, what am I going to do now? How long is he going to hit this thing? And is he be- he's behind a tree, another tree or a bush or something? No, he's just facing me straight oh, on. Oh, yes, yes, hey, okay. Hitting that licking branch, you know. So he's straight on me. Yeah, so I'm going into panic mode now. Like, not panic mode, but just, oh, shit mode. Now I got I to gotta try to figure out, do I let down? Is he, fa- you know, he's straight facing me? Or what do I do? And um, luckily, something back in the woods made a little bit of a noise, and he takes two steps to the left. So now he's at a hard, hard quartering shot. Now I'm thinking in my head, do I shoot? Do I shoot? Or I let down? Do I let down? I'm like, well, he's close. Uh, I know I got, I know I'm going to hit him right where I want. So I go, man, I'm going to tuck that shoulder and give it. (laughs) So I tuck that shoulder as tight as I could and let her rip. And? And? Um, he did not have a clue what hit him. Uh, yeah. I mean, right where I wanted it, tucked that shoulder really tight, came out, stuck in the ground. He does a lap right underneath my stand, does a big kind of horseshoe, curls back around, and now he's just on the outside of the food plot into the, you know, it's more brushy area. It's a transition, so it's brushy, tall grass. And now he's uh, at 40 yards, and he's looking straight away from me, hard quartering shot again. My rule of thumb if you can get another arrow in them and you know, you know, my rule of thumb is if you can get another arrow, unless you 100% sure know you heart shot, double lunged, whatever, let it rip again, knock another arrow, draw back, let it rip, 
right where I want it. I mean, now this time he's the opposite direction. He's quartering hard away. So now right on the back rib, let it rip, smoke him right there. He runs off into the woods. Um, I heard a bunch of crashing around and um, then it got quiet and I'm like, well, okay, that should be good, but maybe he's out of earshot and he ran farther. Yeah. And um, I sit there for probably two or three minutes, you know, and um, then all I hear is that death cry as you, I don't hear it very often, but that's what I heard. I heard that. And I'm like, Oh, he's probably done then. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've only heard. I, I hit a, I shot a doe one year and I buried it. I mean, it was just like, I don't know. This sounds bad, but one of those shots where you're just like, damn, like I smoked her right through the shoulder and she just fell over, did a, backflip and died like just but she went and then just died it was almost like an eerie sound right and so but that's the only time i've ever heard that that noise huh well yeah it was there. i mean i haven't shot a deer in quite a few years that's done it so i was just like man did he just do what i just thought he did you know because yeah. it's been so long i'm like he just did a death cry yeah and so that goes you know that happens and uh and now you're what what's kind of running through your head at this point? You just you shot you shot a deer that you have not only history with, but you know you're trying to take the steps in passing two year olds so that you can get to three year olds, and it just worked. Oh, I was I was a puddle after I shot him the second time. I mean, I, I had to sit down. Yeah, <laughs> like that. I was like, man, this is awesome. You know, it's like actually, you know, and gun season last year. I, you know, even both season, I seen this exact buck. Yeah, I had quite a few opportunities to kill him as a two-year-old. I just passed him. So to actually see it actually come through, you know, all the way around was pretty cool. And that gun season, the last year's gun season, I did not even go into the timber. I hunted very, I mean, if you're a good hunter, you'd have been like, I'm sitting stupid spots, you know. Yeah. Safe, out of the timber, can't, you know. It's like, but I just gave him, I wanted to give him some sort of safe safe space in this area that is not all high pressure you know yeah yeah and so you i mean is this is this one of the biggest bucks you've ever shot uh it's it's as far as my bowl i think it's second biggest i got i got a pope and young 10 point gotcha gotcha <clears throat> but what okay so of all the deer that you you you've ended up killing throughout the years what does this buck mean to you it's just cool because I've never actually had one figured out, I guess, to yeah. this extent and able to just go in there and get the job done right away. Normally, I'm not an early season hunter usually. I mean, normally it's taken me pre-rut, rut, maybe not even, you know, the year before I passed everything. I had lots of cha- chances at shooting decent eight points, you know, 80, 100-inch eight points, and I let them all stick and go because I'm like, I, I don't, they're two-and-a-half-year-olds. I'm like, I'm just doesn't tickle my fancy I, you know i shot a lot of them just doesn't tickle my fancy anymore i'd rather eat tag than shoot one of them now yeah and, and and so it worked and you got this buck on the ground and i guess the next thing i tell you is dude congratulations on uh putting together a game plan having the you know i guess some type of i don't know if the right word is fortitude to pass these deer but or you know to pass deer last year and you know stay away and and 
But this is just reaffirming that what you've done has worked and that hopefully you can duplicate that next year on another three-year-old or heck, maybe even a four-year-old. Right. No, for sure. That's in my mind. You know, maybe now I'll take a chance one of these years and let a three-year-old walk, you know, if he's a little smaller than I think and I don't want to shoot him, I'll let him walk and we'll see what has happened. Hopefully, (laughs) fingers crossed. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, David, man, congratulations. Really appreciate your time uh, coming on here and sharing this story with us. And uh, good luck the rest of the season, man. Yeah, no, awesome, Dan. Uh, like I said, I've listened to your podcast since it came out, you and Mark, and I would have never would have guessed I would have actually been on it. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> now you are. I feel very <laughs> had me on, Dan. And there we have it, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Mr. Lang. Thanks for taking time out of your day to share this story with us. It's a good one. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck the rest of the season. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day, listening, loving this podcast, man. Without you, I I, I don't know where I'd be. And then, um, what, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? It was something important, but probably not too important that I forgot it. Good vibes, right? Christmas season, call someone that you've, you haven't called in a while. Go give your mom and dad a hug. Tell them that you're thankful for them. Tell your wife, your child, your husband, whoever, whatever the deal is there, that you're thankful for them. And then, um, you know, there's still time. You know, you, you Southern boys are uh, just getting rocking and rolling. So uh, good luck the rest of the season. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we have to remember to wear your damn safety harness. And we will talk to you next time.